When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 45, and we are recording on September 6th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Rincey Abraham, who is sitting in for Jen Northington, who is on vacation. And we are coming to you from Book Riot. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> of course. Happy um, to do it. So Rincey is, if you guys watch our YouTube channel at all, uh, which is just YouTube slash Bookwright video, then you have seen her every week, um, every Wednesday. And she also has her own YouTube channel, which is, you please tell them your YouTube channel. Yeah, YouTube.com slash Rincey Reads. Yes, please. And it's great. And that's where we initially found you in yes. the, the depths of the internet um, <laughs> was a book was booktube which is awesome so thank you so much for joining us Rincey reads everything um, <laughs> so this is going to be a not genre specific show often when we have guests they are we're talking about some specific genre that they are an expert in but Rincey is an expert in everything so we're gonna be talking about a little bit of everything here um, before we get started of course I need to mention Book Riot Live coming up in November, November 12th and 13th. This is our two-day reader conference extravaganza fun zone shenanigans. I just made <laughs> made that up entirely. I'm, I'm actually I mean, going to write copy for the show line, now. Honestly. <laughs> fun zone shenanigans. Um, the schedule, the first uh, round of programming was just released. So if you're interested in joining us for that, you can go check out the first round of programming. Um which is all going to be really great. Walter Mosley is coming, which is the one that I'm most excited about. Um, and for listeners of the show, you can, if you, when you go to register, if you use the, the discount code JazzHands, you will get $20 off a weekend pass or $10 off a day pass. Um, so go do that. Okay, moving on. So how the show works. As I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email us your questions or you can um, drop them in the show notes uh, uh, there's a form at the bottom of the show notes for every episode on the site and they can be for anything they can be for you your book club a present that you want to give to somebody if you need a read-alike for a book or an author that you love and you want a replacement for that um, we will answer any and all questions and if we don't have answers we go to the other book right contributors or we bring on guests to help us answer those questions we have started doing email responses also if you're asking us questions um, that we've answered a couple of times on the show already then we're going to email you our responses with links to the shows that are relevant to your uh, question and with some new recommendations and things like that, just so we don't repeat ourselves too many times uh, on the air. And so you can send those. Our email address is getbookedatbookride.com. All right. So Rincey's going to read our first question and then I'm going to do our first sponsor and then we will get rolling. So take it away. All right. It says, hello, I love your podcast. I am in need of some help. I am a relatively new stepmom of two great young kids. My husband is loving and supportive. While their biological mom and I luckily get along fine for the most part, I still find myself struggling with the role. I always learn best from books and would like to see a stepmom I can relate to. I find so many books are negative or bitchy or alternatively have a very Disney-esque feel. I've read The Package Deal, A Career's Girl's Guide to Becoming a Stepmom, and The Single Girl's Guide to Marrying a Man, His Kids, and His Ex-Wife. 
I'm stuck. I would prefer fiction, even if it just has an interesting stepmom as a character, but I'm open to nonfiction. Thank you so much, Ashley. Okay, so first sponsor, before I was, I like in my brain started to answer the question and then had to stop. No, first sponsor um, is a book, which is appropriate. It's called The Call, and this is by Pater O'Gillian, which I love saying out loud so much. And I love that they had to like give us a pronunciation guide for his name because it's so beautiful. Um, he is from Ireland, if you can't tell, from Donegal. And The Call is a combination of fantasy, horror, and Irish folklore, um, which is pretty great. It's about the Sheet High, which is a group of fairies you know, the the fairy folk in Ireland. And the concept behind this book is you wake up alone, you're in a horrible land, and then a horn sounds, and that means that the call has started, which means that you have three minutes and four seconds to save yourself from the fairy folk. Uh, The main character's name is Nessa. She's 14. She knows that she's about to be called, and nobody thinks she's going to survive. Very Hunger Games kind of thing. Like, she's she's being called up, and everyone thinks she's going to die. But she's kind of out to prove them wrong. So this is really like a heart-stopping, can't-put-it-down fantasy thriller, which is such an excellent combination. And if you're interested in audiobooks, the audiobook narrator is Amy Shields, um, who is in the Showtime revival of Twin Peaks, which is coming out in 2017, and I thought that was a really neat little um, tidbit. So horror, fantasy, Irish folklore, killer fairies. Well, I don't know what else you want from me, really. (laughs) So that's The Call by Patter O'Gillian. All right, I'll just keep talking since I'm already talking. So my first... The first book that I thought of when I read, like, a thing about stepmoms was Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. So I'm taking it way back. If you don't mind a doorstopper, because as, you know, most Dickens novels are, this is quite large. It's like 900 pages. But it's one of my favorite uh, Dickens novels. And while it's ostensibly about Mr. Dombey, who is a really awful person um, who runs a business concern, he has a daughter named Florence and a son whose name I don't remember because who cares? And his, I mean, he's in the title this son. Um, <laughs> and he's Mr. Dombey is not so much into Florence because she's a girl. So whatever. He's not concerned with her. He all of his self-image and worth and hope for the future is wrapped up in his in his boy um, who uh, his wife died giving birth to. And so eventually the boy is, is turns out to be really sickly. Uh, I don't want to, like, spoil it too much. Although, how do you spoil an 800-page novel? Like, <laughs> like, I could say something that could, I consider a spoiler that happens in, like, page 100. You still have 700 pages ago, but I don't know. Um, anyway, so the mother dies. This is not a spoiler. This happens, like, the book opens with this happening. Um, and eventually, Dombey remarries. And there's a whole... The last half of the book is, like, Florence and her stepmother... like having the super, super tight relationship in the face of Mr. Dombey's awfulness. Um, The the stepmother, her name is Edith, is of herself, like not a great person necessarily. Like she marries Dombey for his money. She's kind of shallow. She loves Florence, like really honestly loves Florence. Eventually she runs off uh, with another man and has to deal with the repercussions of that with Florence and their relationship. And obviously with her husband, but you know, whatever. That's not what we're talking about right now. Um, so she's a really human character. She, she's not um, mean, and she's certainly not like an evil stepmother figure. She's like a complicated person who genuinely loves her uh, stepchild. So that's Dombey and Son by Charles Dickens. Okay, uh, my first pick is a memoir by uh, Judy Greer called I Don't Know What You Know Me From. Uh, Judy Greer is an 
comedic actress. She's been in a whole bunch of different stuff. I know her best oh, from yeah. Arrested Deve- Development. Um, and she was in like 27 Dresses, like every rom-com of the early 2000s, it seems like. Wasn't um, she in Jawbreaker? Yeah. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> yeah. that's. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I think she is in that one. Um, but yeah, so she's a comedic actress and she wrote a memoir. And it turns out that she is actually a stepmom herself, which is not a thing I knew. Um But in this book, she just has like a collection of it's just like an essay collection like you would expect for most comedians. And she breaks it off into different parts. And the last part of the book is all about her personal life. And she talks about how she met the man that she's now married to and how she found out that this guy had kids. And then also the experience of sort of taking care of his kids. The book is really short. It's less than 300 pages long. So you'll get through it really easily. Like I read it in basically a weekend and it's really entertaining. I think especially if you like Judy Greer, she I think she's really funny. So I really enjoyed the book. But even if you just want to read those couple of chapters that are about the stepmom relationship, then there are a couple towards the end. Um, And it's just kind of nice and fun. And I think it would give you just sort of like a new perspective on the whole experience or maybe just someone who you're like, yeah, I can relate to this experience. So that's my first pick. Okay. Um, My second one is Where the Stars Still Shine, which is hard to say out loud for some reason. Where the Stars Still Shine by Trish Dollar. Uh, This is a contemporary YA. um, And it's about a girl named Callie who is kidnapped from her family by her mother. So it's already like starts out kind of complicated. Her parents have a complicated custody situation. Um, Her dad is like really stable, normal human being. Her mom is a mess. Her mom kidnaps her, um, violates their custody agreement and steals the girl off. Um, she doesn't, her mom is like really abusive, very unstable. She doesn't feed her normally. She's never been to school. She's never really had like a permanent home. Um, eventually her, the law like catches up with them and her mom is finally arrested and Callie is taken back to live with her father in a small town in Florida. Her father has remarried and has two, I think twins, I think they were, um, toddlers. So he's got like what is essentially a new family and brings Callie into that new family to try and give her a sense of normalcy and show her what love is really like. Um, And, you know, she's, she's got a lot of issues. Obviously she feels guilt about what's happened to her mother. She doesn't understand what, like what a normal family is supposed to look like or not normal, but like healthy. She doesn't understand healthy family dynamics and the, um, the dad in this book is great, but the stepmother is also great. You know, and like she herself is facing like a really odd kind of situation where her husband's first child who has been missing for a decade is suddenly back. And so she's got to deal with a teenager. She's got, you know, twin little kids of her own to deal with. Um, but she's super supportive and uh, like an adult. <laughs> and so often I feel like I feel I wish there were more like nice parents in YA and I understand why there aren't you know they gotta have conflict and there has to be a little bit of like turning away from the child so that the kid can like go on their own adventures I get it but like it's nice you know to read a book with a kid who's troubled and um there are parental figures in the book that are like there to help her and the stepmother is one of them so that's where the stars still shine by Trish Dollar All right. Uh, My second pick is the stepmother support group by Sam Baker this is 
a UK novel. Uh, and it's basically chiclet, if chiclet's still considered a genre, but I think that'll give you a sense of what the book feels like. Um, in the story, there is this woman named Eve who ends up uh, falling in love with this guy who has three kids of his own already. His wife has passed away, so he's a widower. And um, so she ends up becoming a mom to three kids earlier than she would ever expect. She's like in her early thirties, I think in the book. And so she's sort of trying to figure out what it's like to be a mom already. Like she's thrown right into it. And she starts to turn to her friends to try to figure out how to handle the situation. But none of her friends are really mothers yet. So they can't really help her out very much. And then her sister recommends that she joins this sort of support group, which is basically the stepmother support group, where it's a bunch of different stepmothers who get together and start talking about the situations that they're facing, um, all of their different family lives, and just the struggles that they have to deal with adjusting to being a stepmother. And they just form this sort of unlikely friendship and this group of women who just bond over this specific situation that they've all been put into. And it's just all about these different family situations that I think might be helpful to you because obviously no stepmother experiences the exact same thing as everyone else. So I think this book might be nice because it'll provide you with a bunch of different perspectives on stepmoms and a bunch of different struggles and just situations that people have to deal with, whether or not you yourself would have to deal with them. But I think that this one would be nice. And also it just is a fun, light read. So it doesn't get too serious or too crazy or anything like that. And I think like you said, you want a different type of mother to be demonstrated in the books. And so I think this one will be nice because it'll have a whole bunch of different moms for you to sort of look at and learn from. All right. So question two. This is from Stephanie. <clears throat> she says, I'm traveling to New York from Europe in mid-September and would love a plain read to get me in the NYC mood. I mostly read literary fiction, but I'm very open to suggestions. I've already read the New York trilogy, Cavalier and Clay, and then A Little Life, and I loved all of those. Okay, before we get started, I wanted to mention that on the um, on the site, we have a post of 100 must-read New York City novels that our contributor, Rachel Manuel, put together. So I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Um, so you got 100, like, to go to town. <laughs> um, but we are obviously going to give you our own recommendations, which I think all four are historical fiction, now that I'm looking. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, they're all from different time periods, so... Oh, wait, maybe not. Whatever. It's fine. These are all of them capture a specific like flavor of New York. So it's all right. It's gonna be fine. So my first pick for you is Burn Baby Burn. It's by Meg Medina. I love this book so much. It takes place in uh, the 70s, I think in 1977 in, a, in the summer, um, which in New York is kind of a year like burned into the city's memory. It was um, the year that the son of Sam serial killer was on the loose, um, who he was shooting mostly couples who were on dates in their cars and mostly women with brown hair, like long brown hair um, and their dates. And it was, there was also a, it was a super hot summer and there was a blackout, like a citywide blackout that resulted in a lot of looting and arson. Um, so it was a really like hard, there was a lot of unemployment, just a really difficult summer um, in the seventies in New York. And so in this book, the main character's name is Nora. She's 17, about to turn 18 and graduate. She's got a really difficult home life. Her brother is the worst. Like her brother is violent and selfish and is into drugs and is just like downward spiral. Um, her mom ha is, they're poor. She, her mom doesn't speak a lot of English. They're from Cuba and she, um, doesn't know how to handle Nora's brother. Um, her dad is out of the picture doesn't ever really call. Um, her mom is like 
her hours at her job are being cut back, so they're having trouble paying the rent, all of this stuff. And so while this is happening, Nora's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life, right? She's 17, she's about to graduate, she want to go to college? Not really. Like, the only thing she's really good at in school is woodshop class. So, like, what is she supposed to do with that? She meets a really cute guy at work, but can she date him? Because people who look like her who were going on dates are being shot in their cars. So there's a lot going on here. Um, but New York is very definitely like a character in this book. And it's not just like the New York of the difficult year of 1977. It's also like the New York of disco clubs, which is like fun. And um, I think it's in Queens. I think it takes place in Queens. So if you want to like get out of the Manhattan and like go into some of the boroughs, I think this is a good pick. So that's Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. I love that book so much. I know, it's so good. Meg Medina's, book. Meg Medina's coming to Book Riot Live. There it is. Yes. <laughs> Come see Meg Medina. And she will be on a panel that I'm moderating about historical fiction. Which... <laughs> All right. Uh, my first pick is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. There is a chance that this reader has already read this one because it is a modern classic. But on the chance that you haven't, I have to recommend it because it's like one of my all-time favorite books ever. Um this book is takes place in the early 1900s. I believe it takes place from like 1900s-ish to about the 1920s. And you are following this young girl named Francie. Uh, she is the daughter of Irish immigrants, and they are just this poor family living in Brooklyn. Um, she's an avid reader, and she's very curious about the world that's around her, much like any young girl growing up in New York City is. Uh, she has this father who is very idealistic, but a mother who's very realistic. And she also lives with her aunt, who is very uh, open with men, to mm -hmm. say it nicely. <laughs> um, uh, so basically, the story just follows her growing up. And it shows a lot about New York City poverty, which is I don't want to say it's nice because obviously it's not a nice thing, but it's good to see that side of New York City because obviously that is very much a part of New York City. Um, it's also just really heartbreaking and full of a lot of emotion, just watching this young girl grow up in this world and seeing so much potential out there, but also so much not available to her because she is poor. She is the daughter of immigrants. There's so much honesty in this book, but it still has so much heart and there's so much hope in this book at the same time. It's just so, uh, just so wonderful. I love it so much. I always am recommending this book to people. And this obviously takes place mostly in Brooklyn, which might not be necessarily where you're heading when you're heading to New York City. But I feel like this very much captures early 1900s New York City really, really well and just shows just how at the turn of the century, the city was really starting to take off and starting to boom and how these immigrants that were living in New York City were able to sort of make a foot forward and start to progress in society. So that is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. So good. Such like a favorite, a perennial yes. favorite. Yeah. Mm. I feel like that even if you don't care about New York City, like this is just a book everyone should read. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my second pick for you is Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, um, which I, I picked this one because it is the best of Edith Wharton and F. Scott Fitzgerald's New York novels, like in one book that is modern. I mean, the modern in that it's written by somebody who is still alive. So if you ever wanted to like go to a signing, it's very possible you could still meet this person. Um, but, but still, you know, go read Edith Wharton and F. Scott Fitzgerald if you feel like it. Uh, anyway, so Rules of Civility takes place in the 30s, late 30s in New York City. Um, like in Manhattan, mostly. So that's a, you know, you're like 
on the island, if that matters. Um, the main character's name is Katie. She's 25. She goes out with her best friend, Eve. Eve is a character, man. She has transplanted, she's a transplant to New York from, I think, Indiana or Ohio or some, somewhere in the middle of the country. Um, and she comes to New York and is, like, doing the thing. Like, she's a kind of, like, I'm trying to think of, like, a silent screen actress. She's, like, out there. She wants to live life, right? She's a big personality. Katie's more of, like, an introverted, bookish kind of girl. So they go out um, trying to, like, stretch their, like, dollar as far as possible. Um, They're roommates, and so they want to go out and, you know, have a good time. uh, They go to a jazz bar, because it's 1937, and why not? And they meet a guy named Tinker. That name. They meet a guy named Tinker, who's a banker. He's, you know, very Gatsby-ish, like, handsome, blue eyes, charming, wearing cashmere. Um, And so the three of them hit up hit it off they start talking they become friends it's kind of this weird chance encounter and then things just sort of like spiral out of control from there they propel katie on this like adventure over a year in a very nick sort of way from gatsby into um like the upper echelons of like wealthy new york elite society um to all these, like, you know, parties that she never would have been able to get into because of the people that Tinker knows. Um, And at the same time, this uh, Tinker and Katie are starting to kind of fall for each other, but then there's a car accident. Eve is hurt and out of guilt. Tinker starts spending more time with her, so there's, like, this triangle thing happening. Um, But while all of this is going on, and you don't ever really know, like, who Tinker is and where he comes from and where his money comes from and so there's a lot of questions about that but while all of that is happening you're going all over New York from from like Greenwich Village where the book opens to the Upper East Side um, as they like travel and, and have all their misadventures and mayhaps and whatnot. Um, there's actually a lot in the book about like classic New York architecture about bu- like, uh, about buildings that are still there so it's a nice fictional guide for that sort of thing if you're interested in buildings um, and there's a little bit of mystery in a very Gatsby-ish way of like who are these people and where did they, they come from and what's going to happen and all that um, so that's Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls. All right. Uh, my next pick is Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann. And this one takes place in New York City in 1974. Uh, it revolves around this historic moment in New York City history where this man named Philippe Petit, I believe is how you say his name. He's a French high wire artist who basically became famous because he tightrope walked um, across the two twin towers in nope. 1974. Nope. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, this, this is like an actual thing that happened. Uh, you can Google it, and there are like actual videos and documentaries and stuff about this day. So Colin McCann writes this novel, sort of circling around this moment. So part of it takes place with like people watching this event happen, but he also follows a whole bunch of other New Yorkers whose lives sort of collide around this moment. So you've got this young Irish monk who sort of is struggling with his own sins as he's like living with prostitutes. um, And he's like dealing with all of the sort of promiscuity that's surrounding him. Um, There are these group of mothers who gather to uh, talk about their sons who had died in Vietnam. And so they sort of form this support group, but then they realize that beyond the fact that their sons had all died in war, they don't really have very much in common. And so it's sort of this struggle with them about like, are we actually friends with each other or do I actually like you or do I just want to <laughs> spend time with you because you understand my experience? Um, then there's uh, this young artist who basically sees this hit and run happen and then 
because she's a witness to it. Uh, her life basically gets turned upside down. And then the last sort of main character is uh, this 38-year-old woman who teenage daughter ends up having a kid so she's basically like a 38 year old grandmother and then she has she decides that she's sort of just sick of it all and doesn't want to deal with her family anymore and she kind of just leaves and so the way the book is structured is you are every I believe it's every chapter or maybe it's like every section I forget exactly how the book is broken up but you basically switch back and forth between all these different characters and then you're also getting information about the tightrope walker as the event is happening and so eventually they all sort of collide towards Manhattan to the Twin Towers and you see how all of them sort of intersect with each other it's really great I kind of like the fact that Colin McCann is able to take all these different perspectives on New York City life uh, from the very low class people to the very high class people. And you can see a little bit of everything happening here. Um, even though it does take place in 1974, it doesn't really feel very like historical. Like it feels like it could have very much happened like 10 years ago or something like that. So I feel like this one would very much get you in the New York city mood, even if it does make you, I feel like it's always just a little bit sad whenever you're reading things that surround the twin towers. But other than that, I feel like it's a really great New York city novel. So that's let the great world spin by Colin McCann. All right. It's still you. You're leading oh, yeah. the next question. <laughs> All right. So the next question is from Mona. And it says, I'm writing in to request biographies of people of color that are off the beaten path. I am participating in the Read Harder Challenge, and the read a biography task has been the most difficult for me personally. I am currently listening to The Black Count by Tom Reese. I believe that's how you say his name, on audio, and am really struggling with the military stuff. Thus, I'm on a hunt for something else that will hook me. I'd like to read about people of color that should be more famous than they actually are. Brownie points if you can recommend biographies of people from Africa, Asia, South America, or the Middle East, as I've been trying to expand the borders of my reading beyond the U.S. and Europe. Lastly, I'd love to receive recommendations by September 30th so that I can request them from the library and still have them before the year's over. Hope this isn't too difficult. Also, thanks for doing the show every week. It's one of my all-time favorite podcasts, and I love listening. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it's not too difficult. Nothing is too difficult for it. No, that's not true. Some, some of these questions, I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, I was like, some of them required some digging. <laughs> yeah. Um, researching for this show is always an adventure. Okay, so my first one is maybe... Now that I, I don't know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of a cheat, but whatever. It's Sophia by Anita Anand. And this is, um, it's about Sophia Duleep Singh, who was born in India, so I don't feel like I'm cheating, uh, but grew up in uh, the UK and was a goddaughter of Queen Victoria. So rewind. She's uh, Indian royalty. Her father was the Maharaja Duleep Singh. He was an heir to the Kingdom of the Sikhs in India. Um, and then it was, you know, obviously plundered by the British, as many things were. And her family is exiled to England. And so her father is given an estate in Suffolk that he, like, transforms into a, a mogul palace, like, stocks it with all these exotic birds and leopards and all of these animals. And Sophia herself and her, I think, four or five, I don't remember, um, siblings are raised as, like, aristocratic English people. Um, they're presented at court. Queen Victoria is their godmother. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, she was, like, a, this like a famous socialite society woman in her time. And I've like never 
really heard of her until um, a couple of the people, the contributors at Book Riot started talking about her. Uh, oh, it was, you know what? It was when that, that Suffragette movie came out last year that I can't remember the name of um, that like totally ignored all the women of color who participated in the movement. Oh, yeah. In England, like Meryl Streep was in it. I don't know. I don't remember yeah. the name. But, uh, anyway, so this book came up a lot around the conversation about that movie um, because she's not talked about enough. So anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so that's who she was. She it, left uh, the UK and w- traveled to India. And while she was there, um, kind of turned into like a revolutionary. So she was really took up the cause of Indian independence. Um, she took up the cause of the welfare of Indian soldiers during the First World War. And above all of that, she was really fighting for, she was really a big participant in female suffrage, um, which was a big deal because she was this like super wealthy socialite um, it would, I guess, an equivalent would kind of be like a, a, a Kardashian taking up a really intense political um, cause. Um, I mean, I, I know I'm going to get flack for that comparison because she was not like a, a vapid sort of person, but she, she was, you know, a cultural celebrity at the time for doing nothing except like being rich and exotic, which is, I feel like, what the Kardashians are kind of famous for. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, she was. Uh, really involved and kind of critical in the suffragette movement and is not talked about enough. So that's my first big view. So that's Sophia. It's spelled like how we would normally say Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A, but it's pronounced Sophia. Uh, Princess Suffragette and Revolutionary is the subtitle, and that's by Anita Anand. I think I'm going to put that one on my list to read because that sounds fascinating. It's so great. It's a great on audio also. Um, That's how I listen to it. And the first couple little bit of the book is like a history of Sikhism and that Mm. whole area of India, which I knew nothing about. So it's super fascinating. Highly recommend it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, My first pick is kind of a little bit of a cheat. Uh, My pick is an American-based person, but it's The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklute, which is being made into, I believe it's a movie, it's a TV movie or a TV, uh, actual movie, I can't remember which, with Oprah. Um, but this is just such a fantastic book. Um, Henrietta Lacks is this black woman who, I believe it's the 1960s, she goes to the doctor because she has a cancer a tumor growth on her body. And so she goes to the doctor, obviously, to get it removed. And when they remove the tumor, they basically take some of the cells from the tumor. And they realize that her cells are extremely like fast growing, like even for a tumor, like it's they uh, reproduce really, really quickly. So they're able to use those cells to do experiments on them because then when you do an experiment on those cells, then you get the results even faster than you would on other cells. And so they do all of this without asking her permission whatsoever. Like they do all of this while she's completely knocked out for the surgery. They don't tell her, they don't tell her family because she's also a black woman. They don't find the need to have to tell her these things because this is before like there are laws requiring that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So the doctors take her cells and then it basically turns out that these cells are like medical miracles and they get used now constantly all the time. Like they're still being used to this day. Like, I don't know how, like they're basically still her cells that have reproduced. They still use them to this day in various science experiments. Um, If you read like science books, you'll see references to HeLa cells. And back before this book was published, it wasn't even really known what HeLa stand for. Like they were like, oh, it's like based on the person that they took them from. But no one actually knew who Henrietta Lacks was. Her own family didn't know until Rebecca Skloot contacted them uh, to let them know that 
you know, your mother's cells or your grandmother's cells are being used in all these science experiments it has led to like some pharmaceutical like ex- like discoveries. And, you know, if Henrietta Lacks had known or, you know, been involved in this, it's possible that their family would have gotten like millions, if not billions of dollars from the revenue from all of this stuff. Uh, so Rebecca Sklut is an investigative journalist. And so she writes about the history of the HeLa cells, as well as the history of this family, as well as what's currently happening with the family. So it is a bit of a biography of Henrietta Lacks and their entire family, but it's also about the HeLa cells and about the whole science and medical industry and just how this horrible thing happened to this woman. And people took her cells without her consent or knowledge, and no one has even tried to fix it or write it or do anything about it until recently. Like, I feel like up until like the last couple of years, even Rebecca Sklute has been fighting for this family to get some sort of like compensation or some sort of just even acknowledgement from the medical industry to be able to say that, hey, we took this person's cells and like not e- they haven't gotten anything really from it. But Rebecca Sklute has been like fighting for like oh, decades now to be able to bring to light and to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. So that's The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklute. Okay, my second selection was Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo by Hayden Herrera. Um, if you have maybe seen the movie um, version of this book with Salma Hayek, this is the biography that that uh, movie adaptation is based on. So obviously, this is a biography of Frida Kahlo, who was a Mexican painter um, during the early 20th century. And she was one of the most original and vibrant painters. Uh, I think she's commonly considered a surrealist. Um, And she was married to Diego Rivera, who is in of himself a famous muralist from Mexico. But her life is just so fascinating. And she's famous. Like, I know you're you're asking for people who should be more famous than they are. And Frida Kahlo is famous. But Frida Kahlo should be more famous than Frida Kahlo is right now, Mm -hmm. in my personal opinion. Um, So she grew up near Mexico City during the Mexico Revolution. When she was 18, she was in, a, I think, a bus accident that left her crippled um, and unable to have kids, which was a big thing that informed a lot of her art later, both of those things, her physical problems and her uh, inability to have children. Um, He was cheating on her constantly. He slept with her sister at one point. Frida herself had a couple of affairs, um, one of which was with Leon Trotsky, which I just think is the most amazing thing ever. (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) It is so great. And like this, Salma Hayek does such an amazing job in the movie. Like her scenes with the guy who plays Leon Trotsky, they're they're so good. Um, So obviously she had some ties to the Communist Party. Um, She also... Uh, was really interested in traditional Mexican culture and indigenous folklore. That informs a lot of her art and the way that she dressed. Most of her art um, is, I think almost all of it, is self-portraiture, like really surrealist or dreamlike self-portraiture, which is for a woman, like a female artist at the time that she was living, was just a revolutionary political statement. Um, So her life is fascinating. Her art is amazing. She was just, I love her so much. So that's Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo by Hayden Herrera. All right. Uh, My second pick is Ida, A Sword Among Lions by Paula J. Giddens. This is a biography on Ida B. Wells, who is this black journalist from the early 1900s. I feel like she should be bigger than she is. I like grew up in Chicago and I was also a journalism major. So I know a lot about Ida B. Wells, but I feel like 
outside of that circle, it's harder to find people who actually know a lot about what she's done. Um, Ida B. Wells was born to slave parents in Mississippi. Uh, she was born in about, I want to say the 1860s. And then, uh, you know, the Civil War happens and they're all emancipated. But then her parents passed away. And so it's just her and her siblings. And at that point, Ida B. Wells is 16 years old. And so they were going to basically split up all the siblings uh, to like various relatives around the country. And Ida B. Wells was going to be left on her own. They said like she was old enough. She could basically just get a job and take care of herself. And so instead she decides to convince all of them to let her take all of her siblings. And so she becomes a teacher in, I believe, Tennessee and takes care of all of her siblings until they're fully grown. And she's doing all of this as, as a 16 year old. Um, and then she grows up and she starts to become an activist. Um, She's probably most well known for the writings that she did about the lynchings that were happening throughout the South to black people. Um, she started to do all of this research uh, along with the Chicago Tribune to sort of document all the lynchings that were happening in the South and sort of the reasons that were given for the lynchings. And they started to show evidence of the fact that people were basically just killing black people because they wanted to kill black people and not because they had substantial evidence behind it. And just imagine like all of this happening in about like the 1920s, 1930s. And it's not only coming from a black person, but it's coming from a black woman. So she's sort of revolutionary in that amazing way. Um, but she was also part of the suffragette movement. Uh, she worked with several notable women's organizations, especially here in Chicago. She eventually moved to Chicago after she married her husband. And they basically just worked and traveled around the country trying to bring awareness to various uh, women's rights movements as well as the black movement and civil rights movement. All of that was happening. So I feel like Ida B. Wells is just like an amazing human being. And I feel like more people should... Um, read about her and learn about her. Um, but the biography by uh, Paula Giddings is really fantastic because it's really readable. Um, and she also provides a lot of context for what was happening in the United States, along with what Ida B. Wells was doing. Um, and there's also blurbs on the book, which I didn't realize until I picked it up. Uh, there's blurbs from Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou. So I feel oh. like that <laughs> in and of itself should just make you want to pick up the book. So uh, that's Ida, A Sword Among Lions by Paula Giddings. Alrighty, I think it's my turn. Yes. Okay. So, question four. This is from Erin. Um, she says, "I have devoured all of Jane Austen's novels and have recently discovered Amanda Grange, who rewrites Austen's novels from a different character's perspective. Can you recommend other novels that are well-known stories told from another character's point of view?" Um, I'll just keep going because uh, I am already talking. So, my first one for you, since you mentioned specifically the Austen retellings, is *Longbourn* by Joe Baker. Uh, this is a retelling of. Pride and Prejudice from the point of view of the servants. So if you are into like upstairs, downstairs, this is the downstairs uh, version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, so the main characters are, well, the main character rather is Sarah. Uh, she's an orphan. She's been living with the Bennets um, since she was, uh, I don't remember how old, young. Um, she's their essentially chambermaid. She, you know, does their laundry, empties the chamber pots, that sort of thing. Um, and so it's the, like the peripheral story of Pride and Prejudice and what makes that story possible. Like the people who would need to exist and who did exist in that time period um, to make it possible for a family to not really work ever and to and to like traipse about the countryside falling in love with each other. Um, 
So, like, who was responsible for washing Lizzie's dress after she walked (laughs) all of that time, you know, to go find her sister um, when she was at, I don't remember the name of the other house, but whatever. Um, And... So, like, the other the the, um, the other character, if you're looking, okay, so, like, if you're looking for, uh, you know, more of Mr. Darcy or whatever, that's, like, not really what's happening here. Although, is it Wickham, the, the guy from Pride and Prejudice, who's sort of awful? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mr. Wickham does make a couple of appearances in the books, in, in this book, because he is predictably trying to sleep with, like, one of the servants. Um, <laughs> but, oh, also, if you're at all, like, you know how they mention, uh, like, like with Wickham, how the, the soldiers come to town uh, yeah. during the Napoleonic Wars, but it's never, like, they, they, Austin is not at all interested in talking about war, so it's the, you don't go into any detail about um, why they're there or, like, where they're going. There's a little bit more of that here, so... Um, the book centers around Sarah, who's the orphaned housemaid, and then a new, um, what did they call them? Guy, servant. I, can't, I don't remember the term. Who uh, is hired to work for them. And he's got, like, secrets. So, yay, secrets. Um, which is very Austin-ish. So that's Longborn by Joe Baker, retelling Pride and Prejudice. All right. Uh, my first one is a pretty well-known one. It's White Sargasso Sea. Uh, this is basically a prequel to Jane Eyre. And if you said you liked Austin novels. If you haven't read Jane Eyre yet, you must. It's such a great book. Um, so this one, I don't know if spoilers for Jane Eyre are a thing anymore. But I, basically, I think 200 <laughs> years is like good. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's what I'm figuring too. So in Jane Eyre, um, there is this character. Uh, it's Mr. Rochester's wife. And you don't see very much of her in the actual novel of Jane Eyre. And so in White Sargasso Sea, you get basically an entire prequel about her life prior to marrying Mr. Rochester and sort of how they meet and things like that. So you get to see the character's name is Antoinette. Uh, She is a Creole heiress and she's basically like relocated to England and you get to see everything sort of from her point of view. Um, This book is really fantastic because it takes sort of this like feminist bend on the mad woman in the attic trope that Bronte sets up. Um, And you get to see a lot about the ethnic inequalities that are happening in this time period, which is, again, something that is not really discussed very much in Jane Eyre. And you get to see sort of the power dynamics that that are happening between Mr. Rochester and his wife and just sort of the patriarchal setup of this whole marriage and just how someone would end up getting locked in an attic. Um, So it's a really interesting and great twist on this idea. And it's a, I, I really like it a lot because it takes this character who I feel like is almost not secondary, but you know, she's not discussed very much in the book itself it's sort of this great surprise at the end but I feel like uh the way this novel sort of approaches it all just provides such an interesting background and character and it sort of makes you look at Jane Eyre in a completely different way or at least I feel like it did for me so that's why Sargasso C by is it Jean Reese or Jean Rice I have no idea <laughs> it's, I'm just gonna go with Jean Rice okay. <laughs> I don't know um that sounds right sure Okay, my second one is Tiger Lily by Jody Lynn Anderson. Um, this is a young adult retelling of Peter Pan, obviously, from the perspective of Tiger Lily. Actually, it's from the perspective of Tinkerbell. Like, Tinkerbell is our narrator, um, but it's the story of Tiger Lily. Um, so if you... I don't have to explain Peter Pan to you, right? Like you, you've, <laughs> you've all seen the movie. If you haven't read the book, you've at least seen the Disney movie, which is my favorite Disney movie. 
despite the fact that it's like excruciatingly problematic. But then, you know, it like so are all of them. All the Disney <laughs> movies are problematic. So your fave is problematic. Um, so this is that man. This is a savage and like tough, very gritty and dark retelling of this story so that most of the magic is removed from from the book um i mean despite the fact that like tinkerbell exists and is a fairy but like um there's very little second start of the right straight on till morning stuff like the neverland is an island that's kind of real like it exists rooted kind of in the real world um hook is like an actual pirate who has landed there um searching for a way to stay forever young, that kind of thing. Um, So Tiger Lily is 15. She lives with her tribe in Neverland, and her tribe believes her to be cursed, so she's already kind of an outcast. And then um, in order to not tame her, but, like, solve the problem. What do you do with a problem like Tiger Lily? Kind of a thing. They decide to marry her off to a guy who, uh, from her tribe, who is awful and, like, mistreats her at every turn. His mother is abusive to Tiger Lily. And um, so she spends most of her time away. uh, And uh, in her adventures, traipsing about the island, she encounters Peter Pan, who she, like, immediately feels a connection with because they're both outcasts. They're both... Um, lonely, like desperately, desperately lonely. And while all of this is happening, um, a ship of what they call Englanders, which is obviously supposed to be like, you know, people from England, British or missionaries, has um, crashed uh, into the island, marooned, most of shipwrecked is the word I'm looking for. Most of them have died. Tiger Lily saves one of them. And then as he's recovering in her, um, in the comfort and care of her tribe, he reveals himself to be like very colonialist. So he starts... He tells Tiger Lily's um, father, guardian, the, the uh, person who raised her, who is, I, I suppose is some sort of, I don't even know how I would put it, is he's trans. Like he dresses like a woman and he, ha- he grows his hair very long um, and his tribe accepts him completely for that um, and considers him to be, you know, like a wise person. But this this like white man who has landed in the middle of their tribe tries, you know, shames him for it and tries to change him and then... Um, goes about like evangelizing his God to these people. So that's like that that very dark thing is happening. And at the same time, Wendy uh, arrives on the island and starts to take some of the attention of um, Peter away from Tiger Lily. And that is such an interesting dynamic because Tiger Lily in this book is like tough. You know, she's um, she doesn't need help from anyone. She's very capable and competent. And then Wendy arrives and is this like very sweet, helpless needs constant attention and constant help, pretends to be stupid even when she's not kind of a thing. Um, and that's the thing that Peter likes. And it's a really interesting look at, like, the, the performative things that girls do um, because we're told that's what men want. Anyway, I'm getting... There's a lot <laughs> going on in this book. So it's Tiger Lily by Jodie Lynn Anderson. It's a dark and gritty and, uh, and really great, I think, uh, retelling of Peter Pan. All right. Uh, my next one is Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Uh, this is probably best well known now because it was made into a musical and it's a really fantastic musical but the book is really different um it still follows the same idea where you are following this young witch named Elphaba who is very awkward and misunderstood and green-skinned who ends up becoming the wicked witch of the west um and you still have all of these other great characters like uh Glinda the good witch event shows up eventually and things like that but like the actual wizard of oz books this one is a lot more political a lot more social and it has a lot of like 
social justice and ethical commentary happening throughout the book. Um, this one is also really, really dense. So don't go into it expecting the musical or something <laughs> light and fun like the musical, because it's definitely not. Um, so in Wicked, it's basically a prequel to The Wizard of Oz, and it shows uh, Alphaba growing up and becoming the Wicked Witch of the West, sort of the things that have happened to her growing up that would make her sort of quote-unquote wicked. Um, this There is a whole lot happening with Alphaba, just sort of coming of age novel sort of thing where Alphaba is just sort of this awkward teenager. She doesn't really know where she fits in or where she belongs because she has green skin. So no one really wants to talk to her, or hang out with her. Um, she ends up becoming like an animal rights activist basically in this book, which I don't think is a plot point in the musical. I saw the musical a really long time ago, so I don't know if that's for sure, but she has a lot of sort of compassion for animals, which is really interesting if you think about the Wizard of Oz and the fact that she has like flying monkeys who are her like soldiers. And, but there's just a lot of really interesting commentary in here about sort of the idea of what's considered good and evil. Um, because obviously when Alphaba is growing up, she's not wicked yet. Um, hence the whole title. Um, and this is actually like an entire series of books. There's four of them out there. And the second one has comes from the point of view of a potential son of Elphaba. Um, there's one that's actually from the Cowardly Lion's point of view called A Lion Among Men, which actually might be really interesting if you are a fan of The Wizard of Oz. Um, in this series, the Cowardly Lion basically worked with Elphaba when she was a lot younger. And I think a lot of that like animal rights activism stuff sort of comes into play. And so it's about sort of his conflict about, you know, taking the side with Dorothy, even though in these novels, Dorothy isn't really a great person. So if you haven't read the Wicked series yet, it might be something you're interested in. It's not like the musical at all. So again, it's a lot darker and it's a lot denser. So just know that going into it. But I still think it was a pretty good read. So that's Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Okay, before we move on to the next question, we're going to do our second sponsor, which I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, it's The Unseen World by Liz Moore, who wrote Heft, which is probably uh, a book that you're familiar with. It was longlisted for the International IMPAC Dublin Literary Award and was a big um, bestseller. Anyway, so this her next book, The Unseen World, is our second sponsor. Um, it's set in the 80s in Boston, and it's kind of a little bit about the beginning of the internet. The main character's name is Ada. Um, she's being raised by her father, who's like this brilliant person who directs a computer science lab and is completely socially inept. Um, he homeschools her. She goes to work with him every day. By the time she's 12, she's obviously turning into like a really socially inept computer prodigy um and then her father starts to show signs early signs of alzheimer's and as his memory deteriorates she starts to realize that he is not who she thought he was um and so she starts to wonder about his life before she was born about her mom all of that sort of thing and it seems that she's probably never going to get answers to that and then she realizes that the software program that he's designed called elixir it might actually be the thing that has hints about her past and her father and the truth about who he is and uh, where he's from. Um, so if you are at all interested in like the internet computers, secrets, mysteries, growing up with awkward parents, being awkward yourself, being kind of a genius, like there's so much covered in this book and um, very page turnery, 
heart stopping conclusion, that kind of thing. And in the eighties in Boston, I feel like that's such an interesting. I've never read a book set in the eighties uh, in Boston that isn't, or in the eighties at all that isn't about like basically, you know, fetishizing the eighties and in like some sort of weird nostalgia sort of way. But this isn't like that at all. This is just set there for the historical context. So do check that out. That's uh, the Unseen World by Liz Moore. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, question five. All right. Uh, this one comes from Nicole and it says, recently I had to take my grandma in for wrist surgery, which was six hours of hanging around the hospital, followed by staying with her for 24 hours. Needless to say, this made for a lot of reading time, but also a lot of anxiety time. I spent a few hours reading the thriller Night Film by Marisha Pussell and thought that that was a good choice as it kept my mind busy with the story. I am looking for other suggestions should I or any other listeners find themselves with downtime during a stressful situation like surgery. Thanks so much in advance. I love listening to all your recommendations. Um, So there's a couple of different ways I was thinking about going with this one. So the first recommendation that I have is Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan, which is just a really fun book. Um, I was just thinking while you're in the hospital, while you're waiting, you want something engaging, but you might not necessarily want something that's super like emotional or or creates more anxiety for you or anything like that. So this is basically like a really just fun, soapy, drama filled, but in a really fun way sort of book. Um, You are following basically this character named Rachel who agrees to spend the summer in Singapore with her boyfriend, Nicholas. Um, and so she, when she first meets Nicholas, she knows nothing about him. And so when he suggests uh, going back home to meet his family, she assumes that he lives in this sort of like rural, uh, simple sort of land. But then she realizes that basically he's part of the like 1% socialite world of Singapore. Um, if you don't know anything about Singapore, there is sort of this elite class of society that is extremely, extremely rich. Um, They are basically like super obsessed with like name brand, everything. Um, It's all about the status, how you look, how much money you have, you know, who's marrying who. And it turns out that Nicholas is basically like one of the most eligible bachelors among the socialites. Um, And so his family is not very happy with the fact that he has brought home this what they considered this very simple simple girl comes from nothing um and his family's trying to get him married but obviously he's not happy with any of the girls that he's been set up with so far um so you get to follow Rachel on all of these adventures uh traveling around Singapore experiencing this slice of life that she would never have access to otherwise um it's just filled with so much fun drama it's sort of like i feel like it's like dallas meets gossip girl like (laughs) (laughs) which is probably really ridiculous coming from someone my age but it just like i feel like there aren't a lot of shows that have that sort of like opulence anymore um but yeah if you like something sort of fun sort of like lifestyles of the rich and famous sort of thing but taking place in Singapore, then this is definitely worth picking up. So it's Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. And there's also a sequel out called uh, China Rich Girlfriend that came out, I believe, earlier this year. So both of them were fantastic and would be just a great fun read to have. Okay, so I... hmm, Okay, so to answer this question, I started thinking about books that I read in 
not one sitting, but in like a day or two um, that were engaging that I, not because they were short necessarily, but because I couldn't put them down and would therefore be distracting for you during a time of stress. And so the first one I actually just finished like yesterday um, and really could not stop reading. And it's Devoted by Jennifer Matthew. Matthew? I don't know if I'm saying that right. The spelling will be in the show notes. Um, and this might, this might be very specific to like the things that I find fascinating, but I find the Duggar family fascinating. <laughs> um, uh, which, if you don't know, it's like, whatever, 20-some-odd kids and counting. I don't know how many they're up to now. Um, but it's a, a show on TLC that's no longer on TLC because their family's fallen apart. Um, about an evangelical, very conservative Christian family that has, like, lots of children. Um, And this book is about a similar family. So Rachel Walker is the main character. She goes to church with her family um, of 10 siblings, I think. Uh, I don't remember. (laughs) She says all all of their names uh, throughout the book, and I don't don't recall exactly how many, but it's about 10. Um, And sure, like, the girls are not allowed to wear pants. They're constantly being policed for how they dress so that they're not tempting the men. There's no dating allowed. Once you're married, you court under the supervision of um, your father, essentially. Um, And then you, like, no kissing. You know, kisses are saved for after marriage. No internet. You don't read that. You ingest no media that isn't evangelical Christian. Like, it's very strict. If you swerve from any of this sort of stuff, they send you off to what is essentially like a Christian boot camp where you do physical labor until your rebellious thoughts are kind of beaten out of you. And so Rachel lives this life, right? Like she's homeschooled. Um, She's not allowed to read books, despite the fact that she's very, you know, she's super curious and all of that. Um, And she hasn't really necessarily questioned her family's lifestyle because this is always what she's known. But then one day um, she hears in church that a girl that she knew growing up from her church who ran off and left um, and was therefore disowned by her family is back in town. And out of a random curiosity, she looks her up online um, because she had her family has a computer for her father to do his his um, his business stuff. Uh, and so she looks her up online one night when all of her family is asleep and starts reading her blog. And it's this girl's blog about how she escaped this kind of cult of repressive misogyny um, and patriarchy to go live her own life. And so Rachel does that. She um, She's caught using the internet and um, her family wants to send her off to this boot camp and she flees. Um, and so you follow her through that situation trying to navigate does she still believe in God even though what she's been taught about God is so ridiculous and can she still love her family even though her family has completely rejected her and like what she doesn't know how to do the simplest thing she doesn't know how to pump um not pump gas but she doesn't know how to like use a cell phone she doesn't know how to sign up for school she doesn't know how to get a job like she doesn't know how to do any of that um and so she has to kind of figure that out and like reading her her struggles not necessarily her struggles but like you root for her so hard and if you've ever watched an episode of 20 whatever kids encountering and like just rooted for those girls and like waited for someone to go rescue them from this ridiculous life that her their parents are forcing them into um then this is like you i just could not stop reading it like i wanted so much for her to get out and to make a success of herself um and so yeah like it's not a thriller but it kind of is because it's like heart pounding you can't Put it down until you figure out what happens to her. So that's Devoted by Jennifer Matthew. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry. 
All right. Uh, my next one is Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass by Meg Medina. Another Meg Medina recommendation because Meg she's Medina great. Show. Yeah, <laughs> come to Book Riot Live and see her. Um, so this one is an interesting recommendation because the concept doesn't seem like something you would want to read while at a hospital. But um, I was in a relatively similar situation, and I spent a lot of time sitting in a hospital waiting room and sitting inside of a hospital room. So I was. I had my tablet with me and I was sort of like flicking through stuff, trying to figure, find something to read. And I landed upon this and it just completely gripped me from page one, which was something that I really needed. Um, Depending on what your situation is when you're at the hospital, you might just want something that completely distracts you. So I feel like this book definitely fits the bill for that. Um, In this story, you're following this young girl named Pity Sanchez, who is just trying to like do her best. She's in honors classes and she's trying to sort of make something out of her life. But then one day she heads to school and finds out that this girl named Yaki Delgado wants to kick her ass. Um, (laughs) And she has no idea why they've never met before. They've never had like any sort of conversation, anything like that. Um, So she starts to sort of talk to people who she knows, who knows Jackie Delgado talking to her friends and, you know, all these different people at school to try to figure out like, what is the situation that's happening? Um, Basically what it boils down to is Yaki Delgado thinks that Pity is really stuck up, um, that she isn't Latin enough because she's lighter skinned and she, you know, doesn't talk the way everyone else talks and she gets good grades in school. Um, and basically she's going, the next time she sees her, she's going to try to kick her ass. And so Pity spends like literally weeks hiding from her, doing her best to make sure she's never alone in a room with her, um, while she's at school, she's always making sure that one of her friends is always with her, things like that. And she, before all of this was happening, she, like I said, was in like honors classes. She's trying really hard to, you know, make something of herself. She works at a hair salon, all of this different stuff. But then all of this stuff with Yaki just starts to build and build and build. And it becomes a point where she starts to really fear about going to school every day. And she starts to sort of make excuses. She try because she's a relatively good kid. You know, she tells her parents a couple of times that she's not feeling good and they believe her because she hasn't really done stuff like that before. But then she realizes that at some point in time, she's going to have to face the situation. And so I really enjoyed this book because Meg Medina just really pulls you into the story from the first page. Um, it was kind of nice to read about this because it's very realistic. So I feel like if you're in high school and you're dealing with bullies, like you'll really relate to that. Being someone who is way past high school, um, sort of having that perspective, I felt like make it made it easier for me to really engage with the story because I didn't have the anxiety of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a bully to deal with. Um, but there is just a lot of, sort of empathy that you have for this character and you do want to see like what's going to happen like is there going to be a confrontation is Yaki Delgado going to beat her up at some point um how bad is it going to get things like that so if you want something that you'll completely fall right into the story immediately then I feel like this is just a really great pick and so that is Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass by Meg Medina Okay, my last pick for you is ridiculous, and I'm sorry, um, but it's so it's it's so good. Uh, it's Horror Store by Grady Hendrix, and I picked this book because it's funny and a mystery and totally 
bananas. So you can um, be distracted by something bananas. Like if you need something lighthearted and weird uh, to get you out of a stressful situation or to get your brain out of that stressful situation. I think this is really great. So it's kind of a horror novel, but not really. It's, it takes place in a building uh, called Orsk, like Orsk Furniture in Ohio, which is so obviously in Ikea. Like, it's just a riff on Ikea. Um, <laughs> and every morning the employees come and the place is trashed. Like, people have shattered all the water goblets and all of the, uh, you know, Ikea put it together yourself wardrobes are ripped apart and all of that. And so to kind of, like, unravel the mystery of, like, are there homeless people living in here at night? Like, what's happening? Three employees volunteer to stay overnight, to, like, work an overnight shift and to patrol the showroom and to see what's going on because the security cameras aren't aren't capturing anything. So it's basically a haunted house story, um, right? But it's told in, like, an Ikea catalog. Like, the book itself is packaged like an Ikea catalog. So when you open it, and, you you know, there's obviously, like, words on it, but there's also illustrations of um, pieces of furniture that you put together uh, with, like, the instructions. You know how Ikea has that, like, weird mm-hmm. pencil figure, like, putting together? Um, yeah, that the, weird, like, unisex person. That like, <laughs> Yeah, that looks like kind of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man putting together. <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that, except, like, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is putting together, like, torture chambers and, you know, um, I don't know, where, I don't remember what they call the Iron Maidens and stuff like that. Um, so it's redonk. Um, but I read it in a sitting because you want to know, like, what is the deal with this haunted Ikea um, and what happens to the people you get kind of attached to the employees who volunteer to figure out what's going on because, like, these poor retail workers are, like, now their lives are in danger. Um, and just, like, the um, silly, fun novelty of reading a horror novel in an Ikea catalog is great. Like, it's just great. Um, so that's Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. And that is our show. Yay! Jazz hands. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Please go rate us on iTunes. Leave a review. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. And Rincey is, I don't have your t- your handle memorized. Oh, I'm at Rincey A. There you go. Your name. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors, The Call and The Unseen World. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.